if you can just join me uh, in prayer as we um, just want to quickly just share. Um, so we have a couple of our uh, members, uh, attenders. Uh, Julian uh, Jesse has a, has a daughter, Catherine, uh, and she's been admitted to hospital since last Thursday. And um, she has some uh, medical condition where she's already very vulnerable. Um, so, uh, so if you can just join me in prayer as we, uh, let's also remember her in our prayers. So just join me in, in our prayers. Um, precious Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you as your people. And God, as we have been reminded in the last few uh, weeks that you are our Father. You are our Abba Father. And you know what our needs are. And even before we uh, lift up prayers, you already know what's in our hearts, but you still invite us and you still call us to verbalize and to lift up our concerns and our requests. And as you have promised, Lord, without anxiety, as we present our requests before you, that you have promised that your peace will guard our hearts and guide us the peace of Christ that transcends all understanding will be upon us. And so at this time, we uh, lift up a prayer for Catherine and also her parents, Jesse and Julie. God, um, as we join our hearts in prayer for them, won't you, once again, we cling and we claim your promise that your peace will be upon them, that you will strengthen the parents, as they are very concerned about Catherine's condition, as she has pneumonia, um, but also that your presence will be upon Catherine herself, that she would um, turn to you, that she would find strength, and that may she know your presence, that she is not forgotten by you, but that she is your beloved. So, Lord, Pray for your healing touch to be upon her and bring her to a closer place with you. And for us, Lord, as we also turn to this portion of your word, God, that this is your living word. So, Lord, uh, allow us, uh, give us an eye of understanding and faith to know and believe. So we commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the title of my message is um, Secret Fasting. Um, <clears throat> So as we have been looking at chapter 6, we see that the, uh, the general summary in verse 1, which uh, says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in, who is in heaven. So this verse 1 is followed by three illustrations of the wrong and the right way to engage in spiritual disciplines, such as charitable giving, prayer, and now fasting. Fasting. So these three, at the time, were central elements to, in Jewish religion. And they are actually assumed to be valid for us as well as his disciples, as Jesus' disciples. These are also valid. And of the three, I would say, I would imagine that fasting is the least likely one that we would kind of take on, right? Um, I mean, giving, yeah, I mean, so many of us, we give uh, 
thanks be to God, you know, we give, right? And as much as we can, we give. Prayer, yeah, we struggle with it from time to time, but we do pray. But fasting, not so, sure, not so much. You know, people, and we, we talk about doing sweets fasting, media fasting, and the like during the Lenten season, right? Oh, and then, you know, some people kind of, you know, post it on the Facebook, oh, you know, for, don't, don't uh, text, text me or, like, you know, uh, private message me, you know, for next 40 days for I will be going on to media fasting or something like that. And so they let people know, right? So we, we uh, so people kind of do those kind of, like, the, that kind of fasting. Uh, but outside of that, mm, you know, most people do not really, usually do not fast. You know, I remember the first time I fasted. This is many, many, many years ago. Um, and so th- because I didn't know what it was like, you know, a- until like lunchtime, no problem. It's like, oh, it's, it's, it's totally doable. But as soon as like lunchtime passed, and then my stomach started, you know, just growling. And it's like, yo, you got to just give me something to eat and just like kind of, I need energy, right? And so like it was protesting and... Uh, you know, like I was, hang- I was having like hunger pains like crazy. And so after dinner time was over, you know, I was home. And then, you know, I tried to go to sleep early because I was so hungry, right? But then, you know, I'm in my bed. And then I started hearing voices from the refrigerator calling my name. Say, Woojin, Woojin, come down here. Let's dance, right? And so I, I could not, you know, I could not refuse its call. It's call. So I had to go to the kitchen, open the refrigerator, and then there were, I just noticed that there were a couple like food that I would not normally touch. It's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want those, right? But at that time, because I was like so hungry, I was like, oh, whatever, right? And it wasn't even like, before the, the fasting time even ended. But I was just like, I just had to just, just stuff it in because I was so hungry, right? So I was like, oh, man, fasting is hard. It's, it's hard. It's not easy. So, you know, when we talk about the fasting, um, well, to Jesus, the issue isn't whether we should do fasting or prayer or giving, right? But it's, uh, uh, but how and why, right? That's what's, what Jesus is addressing. And it, it is also focused on this question of reward, reward. You know, what kind of reward we would, uh, you would receive? You know, uh, from time to time, I, um, I get questions like, you know, hey, uh, isn't it too selfish to seek reward in heaven? I mean, I'm not really comfortable seeking rewards. Shouldn't our motivation be living a Christian life simply because you want to? Right? Isn't seeking reward in heaven, isn't it kind of like an ulterior, having an ulterior motive? Why would we want to just like, look for reward? instead of simply wanting to do things because we want to, because we love God? It's a good question, and I'm sure a question like this is raised out of that earnest desire to love God. I have no doubt about that. However, Jesus does not shy away from talking about reward. Did you guys notice that? Even in chapter 5, during the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Right? And so he, goes, so he says, blessed are, uh, blessed are these four, and there is the reward. Jesus talks about that. Right? Talks about heavenly inheritance. Jesus mentions that he will prepare a place for us. 
in heaven. There is, um, there is no embarrassment about the idea of reward. He's not telling you to solely focus on the reward, but he does mention frequently of the reward, the promise of the spiritual blessings that comes from obedience. There is no shame in looking forward to the reward that God says that he has in store for us. There is nothing wrong with being reminded and thinking about the reward that we have in heaven. Right? Philippians 3.14, Paul uh, says this. Uh, Philippians 3.14, it says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know, in the midst of like what he was talking about, you know, I'm just going to forget what's behind. I'm going to continue to press on in his journey, in his walk with the Lord. And he says, I'm going to continue because I am looking forward to the prize that God has for me, that God has in store for me in heaven. There is nothing that is unspiritual, unbiblical about knowing and looking forward to the reward that God promises us. New Testament talks about the crown of righteousness, the crown of life that we will receive when we just finish our faith, uh, uh, finish our race. Right? That's reward. The gospel does not stop at simply saying, oh, Jesus died for you, so believe in him while you are still alive. Right? And when you die, that's the end of it. Well, you've had a good life. Right? So that's the end of it. That's not, where, that's not the end of the gospel. Because John 3.16 says that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's reward for trusting in him, believing in him, walking with him. The reward is that eternal life. And believing, knowing that, and believing in it. Right? There's nothing, actually it is scriptural. And John Piper calls it future grace. So I'm not talking about this prosperity gospel, right? I'm not talking about health and wealth in this world. I am talking about the reality of spiritual blessings that God promises us, right? When we trust him, when we follow him, when we love him, when we obey him, that there is reward. And that's what Jesus is talking about, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for, they will, uh, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus does not say, oh, 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 it's a taboo, like a reward. Let's not talk about reward, okay? Just, I'm not going to say anything about any promises, any blessings. No. Jesus tells us to be mindful of that about the reward. So I'm going to uh, come back to this uh, point or uh, this idea, idea of reward uh, a little later. But so in, in this passage, you know, as Jesus teaches on the, on the t- subject of fasting, he brings out a couple of points for us to consider. And the first, po- first point that I want to bring out is the approval idol. The first point is the approval idol. John Calvin, the famous John Calvin, the reformer, famously said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Basically, we are, we, our hearts, our nature is a perpetual factory of idols. We were created for worship, worship of the one true God. And it is in our human nature to cherish, desire, 
and worship. That's just in us. Every one of us worships something or someone because that's how God has made us. That's how we are made. We are designed to crave. We are designed to worship, right? But because of our rebellion, instead of worshiping rightfully the one who has created us, we have turned to other things and other people to worship and to desire. What our hearts desire, what, what our heart desires is what we are going to worship. That's just the bottom line. If we really desire comfort, convenience, and materials, then of course we are going to desire money. We're going to desire promotion. We're going to desire, yeah, so God, the money will be our idol. Money will be our God. And as a factory of idols, our hearts will constantly, there's just like nonstop, ongoing. So think of a factory that's like 24-7, constantly producing a product. And that's what our hearts uh, are. We constantly produce, produce uh, all kinds of idols. And one of the most prevalent and uh, most powerful idols is this approval idol, craving of being approved by other people, or that desire, that the innate desire to prove oneself worthy of acceptance and approval from other people. Right? That's idol, the approval idol. And this uh, approval idol is one that constantly wages war in our hearts because we really, we deeply desire others to approve of, uh, approve of us. We as human beings, we crave for attention, acceptance, and love and care from other people. Growing up, knowingly and unknowingly, we desperately desire approval and acceptance from our authority figures. And when we are really young, it's obviously our parents or our te the teachers. Those are the people that we look up to. They are our authority figures. And we crave, we want acceptance and approval from these people. But as we grow older, it expands you know, to our friends, our clients, our bosses, uh, and even church people. We desire, we want approval from people like, uh, people like that. You know, so over time, the object of our uh, the, the desire that we want the approval from may change over time in different seasons of our lives, but we constantly look for approval from other people, do we not? Uh, you know, my father passed away when I was in seventh grade, and I had no idea at the time, I had no idea at the time that I was, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that how, I, uh, how I desperately wanted his approval because I felt like growing up that I never measured up to his standard. So, you know, uh, he was a pretty traditional, like, Asian male figure. We rarely talked much. Um, and um, whatever the, the grade that I would bring home, he, well, he wasn't really fully, unless it's like 4.0 or 4.5 out of 4.0, he would not be really pleased. And I've never really, heard, you know, seen him approve of, like, the, the, the performance that I was doing. The only thing that I heard from him is when I was doing something wrong, that he would make sure to say, what is wrong with me, right? And so that's how I grew up. And, um, 
And then I didn't realize until after his passing, and even like even after that, that I was craving. And so like a lot of things that I did, I've done, it's somehow I realize as I think about it in a deeper way, not all of it, but some, some part of it, it's just to prove to him that I am worthy of his acceptance. Oh yeah, that is that what you really think of me? Or right, I'm going to prove to you that I am actually worthy. So even after his passing, there was a part of me that deep inside that wanted to get his approval. Um, though he's not around, right? And sometimes, and it's still, I struggle with this approval idol that I still want people to really approve of me. When I'm in a new setting, um, then I would want people to really approve me and accept me and say, oh, he's, he's a good pastor. He's a good worker. He's a good person. I really, truly desire that. A lot, of motiv- a lot of things that I do comes from that motivation, not so much about really getting appro- from, approval from God, but so that people will approve of me because of my insecurity. Hypocrites, Jesus mentions here, were no different. Just like giving and prayer in the previous verses, Jesus talks about the conspicuous like fasting of the hypocrites. The problem is not fasting itself but the motives behind it. Jesus says it is directed toward other people so they can be seen and be approved of their public display of piety. They were, as they were fasting, they would disfigure their faces. Oh, oh, oh. And the people would say, hey, are you okay? And then, oh, you know, and then as, uh, as he sees other people like, he's asking him, like, oh, oh. Yeah, you know, maybe, oh, and then, are you okay? Are you, oh, you must be fasting. I said, well, I mean, you know, like, yeah, I am. I am really fasting, you know, and just, I'm just praying, and I'm, this is what I'm doing. And then so that people will see that and say, whoa, what a spiritual, godly person this guy is. I mean, fasting, it's hard. It's hard. It really is for, like, you know, just uh, sunset to sunset. It's hard. And yet he's doing it. What a spiritual person. What a pious person this guy is for just fasting. Some people, especially the religious leaders, wanted to appear devout. And fasting was a way to get attention. Fasting was done as a means to an end. In the end, it really, what they really wanted was self-glorification. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be approved. They wanted to be praised by people of how pious they were. It's all about self-glorification. And Jesus says, when you do so, after all that fasting, all the hunger pain that you have to endure, that they have received their reward. And their reward is people's praise. And that's all the reward that they will ever get because that's exactly what they really wanted in the first place. For all doing all that uh, fasting, they just wanted people's uh, accolades. People, oh, well, what, a, what, a, what a pious and religious person you are to fast like that. I, can, I cannot do that. I certainly, can't, I certainly cannot do that. But you, wow, you are fasting. What an amazing, you know, godly person you are. God will not allow two rewards one from humans, and one from God. Do you have craving for approval from people? It is an idol. 
I'm not talking about just being really nasty to be, oh, you know, so, so I don't need to be approved by people, so I'm just going to do whatever. That's not what I'm talking about, being antagonistic, right? We are to really just be above reproach. We are called to live a, a higher, to a, a higher standard so that okay, people will see that, right? Like, wow, okay, there is something different about being a Christian. Yes, but the motivation is to please God, not to be seen by people. And to me, this is still a daily struggle, seeking validation from people and not from God. What about you guys? As you examine your own hearts, where does your motivation really come from? When you do what you do, why do you do it? Is it so that you would receive accolades and praise from people? Especially when it comes to spiritual disciplines, when we, in our walk with God, why do you do what you do? Something to think about. And Jesus points out the approval idol of the hypocrites and says, they have already received their reward and there is absolutely nothing, no reward for them in heaven because God does not consider that as a true fast. And the second point that uh, Jesus brings out here is the reward. As I briefly mentioned before, the reward of secret fasting. The reward of secret fasting. Fasting is not just skipping meals. Right? And for me, you know, especially early on, all my fasting was just that. I was just like, okay, I'm going to fast. You know, just there's like a sign of shit going on of like, oh, who's going to fast on this day? And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a, you know, I should be considered a spiritual person. So if I don't sign my name, people are going to say, whoa, how come he's not like, how come he didn't sign up for fasting? So once again, that's also the, you know, the approval thing that, I, that I, I struggle with. So I would just sign, and then I was like, oh, my gosh, it's the day. And then I'm like, oh, it's getting, I know what it's like, you know, how, like, you know, hungry you can get and not being able to eat. So that was just all my early, earlier years. It was just, that's, that was fasting. I was basically skipping meals, right? But you see, true fasting is of the heart, it's not just the body. Joel uh, chapter 2, verse thir- uh, 12 through 13, it says this. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Right? It says, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and repentance, right? It's not just about simply, okay, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I'm just, I guess I just gotta, cannot eat. Oh, well, okay, I just have to just tough it out. That's not fasting, right? It is to rend your heart, surrender your heart to God and say, here I am. And this is something that I am praying for and even just uh, the fasting for and leave it up to God. It means, fasting means giving up a lesser thing to gain a greater thing, something that's much more greater, something that is much more uh, significant. And this could involve food. It could involve like sleep or even, you know, in according to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it, could, it doesn't even, even involve sex. That for a time, when you are really just praying for certain things, that actually you can abstain from even uh, a sexual relationship with your spouse, right? So all these, there are different forms of fasting, but it is to just abstain from a lesser thing so that you can gain, uh, gain something that is greater. Fasting, it is really, it comes down to your attitude. 
your approach, and your motivation. As I mentioned before, Jesus did not shy away from talking about reward. So then what is the reward? What's the reward of fasting when it's really hard? It really takes, it's really hard. Now, we are not talking about health benefits of detoxing. You know, as you know, because every time we eat something, there is the toxin that's, that's in there, so it's going to stay in, in our body, and that's going to cause issues, right? But so, like, by fast, if by not eating, right, that the toxins will just go, just go out of your system, right? So that, there's a health benefits, but that's not what I am talking about, right? Jesus says, do your fasting in secret. Do your fasting in secret. Do not go around telling and showing everyone that you are fasting if you are doing it. This also doesn't mean that you, you lie about it or avoid people. You know, like, say, oh, are you fasting? Or somehow somebody says, are you fasting? Oh, no, no, I'm not fasting because, oh, Jesus says do it in secret. So, but you don't have to, like, lie about it, right? Um, so that's not what Jesus means. What is he talking about, right? But why, why secret fasting? What Jesus is saying here is the essence of fasting is not in public, but in private communion with God. The essence of fasting is not in a public domain, but it really is in our private communion with God. You know, uh, just this past week, uh, the Washington Nationals, they won the, the, the champ, uh, became the World Series champions, right? I don't, you know, I'm the first one to admit that I'm not really, I don't really follow baseball. I, I, I went to a couple games, but that was about it, right? But, you know, they just, as they kept, you know, against all odds, they just kept winning. They, and so they reached the, the World Series, and they, were, they became, in like, 25 years, last 27 years or whatever, they were the biggest underdog because the other team, Houston Astros, they were considered, like, such a dominant team that they barely had no chance against the Nationals, had no chance against the Astros. And yet, and yet, you know, against all odds, and you know, like for some of you guys who may have followed, you know, like they were down. Right? They won the first two games, but then at home, for three home games, they lost every single one of them. That was the first time that they had World Series in D.C. for, I don't know, 80 years, some years, or whatever. They all lost, so, and they were going back to finish out the series in Houston. So everybody said, okay, that's it. We're not going to win. But, but they won. They became the World Series champions, right? And so there was a parade yesterday and all that stuff. But, you know, so I remember as I was kind of start following uh, their you know, journey through all that, there was an interview before the, uh, before the, the final, the Game 7. There was an interview before about the that these two are nationals uh, pitchers, right? Max Scherzer and St- uh, Steven Strasburg, they're the two dominant pitchers that the, the nationals had. And uh, the interviewer was asking one of the teammates, hey, what is the secret to their success? And the teammate said that it was their preparation. It was their preparation. He says that nobody works harder than these two to prepare for the game. What they do in the game it's a direct result of all the blood and sweat that they put in, in the practice. What people see is only the game performance for a couple of hours, but teammates see how much work that they put in. Their public performance is defined 
by their private practice. In other words, the secret to their success is what they do in secret, away from public eye. When no one else is seen, when the public is not there, these guys would put in so many, so much, uh, so many hours and just put in so much effort and work, being disciplined, even what they eat, right? And just like fine-tune their craft. And that's how it became so good, so dom uh, dominant. Likewise, Jesus here says, our relationship to God must be secret in the sense that it is for God to see and not for people to applaud. Right? I'm not saying that we, we have to be like you know, secret agents and be really so, uh, you know, just coy about it and just not being really truthful, like you know, 007 or something, but right, in the essence of our walk with God, it's not so much, and it should not be defined by what people see on Sunday morning, but it's about what we do throughout the week in our private life, in our walk with God. Is it really in secret in that sense, away from public eyes, right? And our private devotional life should define our public life, not the other way around. But what happens often is our public life eclipses our personal walk with the Lord. What people see in public often gets to define who we are, right? Because when people see for like a couple hours in church or in a small group setting, that's all they see. And just say, oh, from their perception, because of what they see in those couple hours, and then they just determine and decide what you are really like. But God says, Jesus says, no, no, no. Our walk with God is defined when no one is looking. When God sees it, what is our walk and what is our life, devotional life is like. What truly matters is what we do in secret when no one is looking but God. You know, for me, as a public figure, I can make myself appear spiritual by saying and acting in certain ways. I know, right? By saying, when somebody just asks for me, oh, you know, Pastor, could you pray for me? What is the right thing to do? Oh, yes, I'm going to be praying for you. But then if I just turn around and walk away, forgetting, and not praying, but to that person, because I gave him uh, his word, uh, my, my word that I'm, I'll be praying, but if I, you know, so that person may say, oh, man, Pastor Whitney, he's a man of prayer. He, 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 he. But then what if I walk away from it and forget to pray about it, right? But then that person still may define me, right, by what he has heard in public, right? So I can do all these things, but God knows my heart and what I'm really like when no one is looking question is, how is your walk with the Lord? What kind of walk do you have with Christ? Does it resemble more of a business partnership? Hey, God, you know, I'm doing this for you, so now what, what's in it for me? What, what are you going to do for me now? Right? So you better do this. Or do you even have a relationship with Christ? It is one thing for us to say all the right things, but do we really trust him? Do we spend time with him in our daily lives? I know we all have crazy, hectic schedule. It's difficult. I mean, you have to wake up. You know, I know some of you guys, you have to wake up at like 4.35 in the morning just to, just to get to work. And then by the time you come home, you're completely like drained. 
no energy whatsoever. It's difficult. But what kind of walk do you have with God? Before God, who sees everything, what is your honest assessment of your walk with God? Because that's what truly matters to God. Not so much like what other people are saying about you. Oh, okay, well, you pray. your prayer is so eloquent. You, you, you know, you, when you talk, it's, wow, you, you're, you know so much about the Bible. So what if you are not walking with the Lord when no one is looking? The purpose of fasting or any spiritual discipline for that matter is never the accolades or recognition from people, but fellowship with the living God. Fellowship with the living God. And that is the reward. That fellowship with the living God, that is the reward of our fasting, of our prayer, of our giving. You know, I get questions about prayer or fasting all the time. Even like just a couple weeks ago in our small group, you know, we talked about that. I mean, why pray when God, already, God is already in control? God knows what's going to happen. You know, what God wills will happen. Even if I pray, so why pray? Isn't it a, basically a futile uh, exercise? Because God already knows, and he knows what he's going to do. So if, if I'm praying for something else, isn't that a waste of time? I'm asking for this when God has already set the course to do it this way. But why, then, why am I wasting my time praying like this? Isn't that a waste of time then? Right? You see, the point of fasting, the point of prayer, is communing with God in prayer. And that in and of itself is the reward. Do you understand? When we fast, when we pray, the fact that we are communing with God, the fact that we are just revealing what's in our hearts, what our concerns are, and we're simply just letting our hearts, what really bothers us, what really scares us, what makes us really anxious and stressed. And as we make it honest before God, spending time with Him, God, this is where I am. This is who I am, right? What should I do? It is the fact that as his children, we are communing with him, bringing our concerns and what's in our hearts, right? And saying, Father, you know best. Help me. I need guidance. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your discernment, right? The fact that we are communing with the Father that in and of itself is a reward because we are spending time with him and that, through that we are drawing closer to him, that we are drawing closer to the heart of God and understanding more about him, not so much about like, what we want from him. Right. You know, there are many times when I pray, I say, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. Right? These days, a lot of my prayer, prayer consists of like, you know, before it was all that you get, God, this is what I need you to do, boom, 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 boom. Here has a long list of things that you need me, uh, I need you to do. But these days, a lot of my prayer is like, I don't know what to do. There are a lot of things happening. And I need your guidance. I need your discernment, right? I want to know your will. I want to know you. As Philippians 4, 6, and 7, you know, uh, just promises us, Right? Without being anxious, present your request before God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. That is the promise. 
that oftentimes that we may tend to neglect, that as we spend time with Him, as we go to God and pour our, pour out our hearts before Him, what really concerns us? Just, just that whole thing. Being in His presence and letting Him know what's in our heart and communing with Him. That in and of itself is reward in heaven. Intimately communing with the God who created us and redeemed us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That in and of itself is the reward. Fasting done right brings us, uh, prayers done right brings us closer to Him. Before, like, when I was much younger, after that, you know, I was like, God, you know, I was just banging on the floor. I was just, like, crying out and all these things and thinking that that's how we should pray, right? But it was all about what I wanted him to do, right? But as I'm just uh, growing older and as I'm becoming understanding more, I'm like, God, okay, yeah. And I do all those. I still pray because I, need, I still need discernment. I still don't know what to do. Some of the decisions that, that we have to make, I have to make. I really don't know what's the best way. But it makes me want to come to him. And as I come before, sit before him, pray, spend time with him, oftentimes I don't get the, like, the audible voice or I don't get all of a sudden like, oh, like this like, whole thing, you know, the solution to all the problems. It doesn't come. But you know what comes to me? The greater awareness of his presence. I know that he's there that God has heard my prayers. The fact that his presence is known to a greater degree, it brings brings comfort. So, you know, may we uh, come to the banqueting table of God and feast on Christ and go deeper in our love and knowledge of Christ as we engage in prayer, as we go fasting, as we give the reward really is the time that we spend with him so that we'll come to a deeper love and devotion for him. So may that be our understanding and our walk with God to really be in a deeper uh, understanding and uh, and devotion to Christ. Let's pray. Let's go before God and just take a moment to, uh, yeah, as I said, uh, spend this time with the God of the universe. From before the beginning of the world, he has known you. Even before the creation of the world, he has loved you, loved us. God is the one who created you. And when we rebelled, God is the one who sacrificed his son so that we can come back, so that we can be redeemed and have reconciliation with God. And God is calling us, his children, to spend time with him, to walk with him, to love him, and to know him. In the end, Christian life is that. The bottom line is to know him and to love him. Do you love God? Do you know him? This God, as revealed in the scriptures, do you really trust him? Do you really love him? Do you walk with him? Is there intimate? Is it intimate? Or is it just superficial? Just out of sense of guilt and shame 
that you just something, do something quickly just to get rid of your guilty conscience? Or do you spend time seeking to know him? Can you imagine as, you, as parents, your kids come to you and all they talk about is, Dad, Mom, this is what I want you to do. Okay, bye, and walk away. Day after day, year after year. Is that a really an intimate relationship? Wouldn't that be great if your kids come to you and say, hey, Mom and Dad, I want to know you. I want to know what you are thinking. What pleases you? What makes you happy? I love you, Mom and Dad, and I want to... I want to know you. I want to spend more time with you. I believe that will be more rewarding, more uh, touching than maybe uh, your kid growing up and just giving you a nice gift, a nice car, or whatever, but to just willing to spend the time with you. And that's what God, want, God wants, is a loving relationship with his children. And so let's go before God and just take a moment to come before him, uh, commune with him, spend time with him so that you would come, we could know him a little deeper.